Player Two has entered the podcast. Welcome back, people, to Player Two has entered the podcast. It's a very special episode today. I'm your host, Michael Peterson, and with me, as always, is my co-host with the co-most and my co-haiku writer. Derek Merkison, a.k.a. The Merc Man, a.k.a. Full Metal Merc. Today, Derek, I thought we might start the Ghost of Tsushima podcast with a couple of haikus. So I, I was told that you, you wrote a haiku, yeah. and uh, I'd like to give you some background music for that to help you get inspired. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Two nerds, one mission. Bringing gaming news to you. Tangents abounding. Perfect. That was good. I like that. Okay, you ready for mine? Yep. All right, here we go. Pandemic podcast. Grappling hook secures honor. What did the fox say? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) I love it. So, Ghost of Tsushima. We have both played through this fantastic game recently. Yes. And uh, now we're here to talk about it. So, as the name of the podcast implies, we are about to spoil the hell out of this game. We can try to keep it Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. So, if somebody was brave enough to try to check out the beginning of it, and you're, like, up to Act 2, we can try to keep it where we talk about Act 1 first, and then Act 2, and then Act 3. That sound good? Yeah, that's cool. Okay, let's do it like that, then. So, Act 1... We got our main characters. the The first two that show up is Uncle Daddy, uh, Uncle Shimura. Daddy. Uncle that's why Daddy. Used to, that's why I used to call him Uncle Daddy. Uh, <laughs> Lord Shimura. He is the Jito of Tsushima Island, so he's like the top samurai, right? Mm-hmm. Like not exactly yep. the Shogun, but big dog. He's the he's the big he's the big dog samurai, and he is facing down a sea of what looks like hundreds of Mongol ships. Oh, yeah. Just as far as you can see with the sea spreading out from the island. And he's got maybe, how many how many samurai cavalry men would you say he had? Oh, maybe. 300, maybe? 300, yeah, 300. Yeah, yeah look, 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 looked a little What's like the most 300. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the Mongols kind of being the Persians. Like, their numbers are, were outstanding. We were introduced to our main character, Jin, Jin Sakai. Sakai. I, it threw me off that they pronounced his name Jin. Can I just start with that? Yeah. I wanted it to be Jean because that's... Whenever I've seen any Japanese like movie or anime or property, if somebody's name was J I N, they pronounced it Jean. Yeah. I um, mean, uh, see, for example, like Samurai Champloo, the of the two samurai in that, the more serious one, his name was Jean. Right. So for the longest, I just kept calling him Jean, but eventually they they like got in my head and I started referring to him as Jin too. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I think it has more to do with uh, how Americans or people that speak English perceive. It's funny uh, because you could tell with the different voice actors how many of them had completely cast aside their original accent. Because a lot of the yeah. voice actors sounded like they were Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't done a whole lot of research, like Lord Shimura especially. Yeah. So some of them would say Castle uh, Canada, and someone would be like, Castle Canada. And I'm like, right. we're going to Canada? Yeah. <laughs> so it would throw me off. Or like, like literally in the same conversation, Shimura, who has the thicker accent, would say, Ryuzo or Ryuzo, and Jean would or Jen would be like Ryuzo, Ryuzo. Yeah. yeah, like spell it mm-hmm. out like an American would. So I thought that that was right. kind of interesting. 
So yeah, Jin, Jin Sakai is like, um, that's a lot of Mongols. And then Shimura is like, and we're going to die fighting them probably. Let's go. Yay. So he sends his strongest warrior, Lord Adachi. <laughs> and uh, we'll get into the Adachi clan later on. But Lord Adachi, he goes, go hey, Lord Adachi, go down there and. And, show them uh, what you got. Show them what you got. You know, make them feel like a bunch of bitches. And Lord Dachi was like, "I got this." So he rides down there by himself. Hold my beer. Hold my. <laughs> well, speaking hold of my hold, sake. Speaking of hold my beer. So so he uh, he comes down and he's like, "Hey, send out your strongest dude so I can bitch slap him." Right. And then we are introduced. Smells to like main, bitch in here. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so we're introduced to the main villain of the series, Koten Khan. Right, I say series. Uh, the the right. main villain of the title, but it's not a series yet. Although, right. oh my god, can you imagine a sequel? There's probably gonna be one. Yeah, he's a big boy too. Koten Khan's big. He's wearing full on like Chinese style armor, complete with like the tuft of like horsehair coming out the top of his his kind of like huge helmet. Mm -hmm. It's open face. So you can see that he's just a cute old teddy bear on the inside. Oh yeah. And uh, he's holding a a large ornate goblet, and I'm like. He's going to throw it on him, just be like, whatever, dude. And then they're going to probably like, shoot him with arrows or something. Not quite. What happens to Lord Adachi, Derek? <laughs> he takes the drink, mm -hmm. throws it on him, mm -hmm. and then proceeds to light him on fire. That's right. He reaches over to his friend <laughs> holding a torch, and then he just tosses the torch on him. And the drink was highly alcoholic. Probably, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, probably some a spirit of some sort. Mm. And then while he's like on fire and he starts to kind of react and like pat himself out. Koten then grabs a very large pole arm. I want to say it's a podai, but I don't know exactly. It's like a Chinese lance. It's a pole. Naginata? With... Naginata perhaps? Yeah, I bet it was yeah, Naginata. That's all... That'd be Japanese, wouldn't it? Well, well it, it looked Chinese in style, but maybe it was Japanese. Yeah, but yeah, it's a long I... pole with a huge blade on the end. Mm -hmm. So you'd call that a Naginata? I, 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 that's what I was calling it throughout the game. I'm probably, sure there's a probably was. more specific name for it. But. Yeah, maybe it's a Chinese variant, but for all mm -hmm. intents and purposes, it was. And these are really good against cavalry, but he takes that Naginata and one huge swipe, boom, knocks off the Lord of Nachi's head, head. Off with his head. And then he looks up at all the samurai cresting the hill, and he's like, so uh, you guys going to surrender? Or are we going to do this? Shimura did not like that. Mm-mm. <laughs> He was very upset. He was like, they, they deserve no mercy. And then you ride. Boom, you're playing ah! the game. So now you're riding down with all your fellow samurai on horseback. And uh, you get a, a quick prompt to swing your sword. You're attacking all the soldiers. It's any old beach you've ever fought on in a war. You know what I mean? There's explosions mm -hmm. and people dying and blood. And you get knocked off your horse. You go a little further. Events take you to a point where... You try to go after Koten Khan alongside Lord Shimura after most of the samurais just get bodied. Correct. And then you get blown up and unfortunately don't get the chance to go after him. And then Lord Shimura gets kidnapped. Let me ask you a question, though. When you saw the scene, because, like, Jean gets knocked out and then eventually gets shot with a bunch of arrows. He's presumed dead. Right. And then Lord Shimura is on his knees and Koten Khan's like, hey, man, I get it. You're a badass or whatever. But I knew he was going to send just one dude. So now I, I, and I killed him. Look, man, join me. And ain't nobody else got to die. You know what I mean? Just surrender. And, you know, Shimura is like, uh, honor, all that. Yeah. So mm. then when he hits him, I thought he killed him. Yeah. Did you think that too? 
I did. It looked like he killed him, but apparently he takes him hostage, takes him prisoner. So he takes him prisoner, and they go back to Castle Canada. <laughs> or Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. Yeah, it's like middle of the, middle of the island. It's like our first kind of like act one, our first end point that we need to get to is rescue Uncle Daddy Shimura. Uncle Zaddy. Now, Gene Sakai is basically, I hear a cricket in the background. Are you outside? No. Are you collecting crickets so you can learn more flute songs? <laughs> no. No, they're probably just outside the, the house. That's that's a good mic. All right, so <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. It actually adds to the atmosphere. I like it. It's like we're outside drinking tea talking about this game. Right. Oh, if only. <laughs> so Jin Sakai is on the beach and kind of grips his sword. It goes to black, and then he wakes up, and he's been, like, tended to medically. And that's when we meet one of our other main characters, Yuna. Yuna! What were your first impressions of Yuna? I just thought she was a hard-ass, badass chick who was going to help help us get Uncle Zaddy back. That's right. I kind of knew from the get-go that there was more to her than meet, meets the eye. I mean, it wasn't really that hard to discern. She opens the door like, are you okay? Get back inside. Here they come. And then she tries to pretend when the Mongol hops in, like, oh, no, the rice is over there. Oh, don't hurt me. And he's like, ugh. And he goes over to get the rice, and then she stabs him in the neck, and it just works mm-hmm. his belly over until he bleeds to death. I was like, oh, dear. Yeah, that's a strong weighty. <laughs> so Yuna's had a rough life. We don't necessarily have to get into it now. Suffice to say that she was orphaned very young, caught in a war that her people lost, and her and her brother had to do whatever they had to do to survive, which included... Uh, sometimes stealing or being a thief and being a cutthroat. But you can tell that she's not the person that's apt to want and murder. She really cares for her brother. And obviously she found Jin and tried to save him. So she's a yeah. good person. But she's definitely not what, what the samurai would consider honorable. And that comes mm-hmm. into play later on. So stuff happens, right? They escape the village. In, in the course of escaping the village... You see some flashbacks about how when Jin Sakai was young, his father was killed right in front of him. Yeah. And his father called out to help him, and he froze, which I think any kid would. Yeah, yeah, he called out for help, and the kid was just like, well, because what was he going to do? Yeah. He was like, what, 12? Mm -hmm. If that. I think he was even younger than that, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Like He he looked to be like adolescent, and this guy in full armor was standing over his defeated father, you know, Probably somebody he looked up to his whole life. So right. Don't worry, Daddy. I'll be right there. <laughs> right? I think it's a moment he'll he'll regret. But I also find it odd that his father asked for help. Because I got to tell you, it, and, and maybe you can relate, like as a father, I feel like if I was in that moment and I was looking up at 12-year-old Ben, I'd tell his ass to fucking run. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I knew that at that point, I can't protect him anymore. Right. So I thought that that was interesting that he asked him to help him. I, I'm not saying it was wrong. Just I find it interesting. So. Right. So, yeah, we find out that the reason why we call him Uncle Daddy Shimura is his Lord Shimura is Jin Sakai's uncle, and he took him in after his father died and trained him up to be a samurai. And taught him the ways of honor. Yeah, we got to use him and baby Jin Sakai as like a tutorial flashback to teach us how to operate the sword. Then we find our sword and we get to kill our first Mongol outside of like the opening battle sequence, like one-on-one. That's lots of fun. Mm -hmm. So... I kind of had a theory about Jin and his dad, but I don't want to bring it up just yet. Okay. Um, so, but we'll put a pin in that. But I want to talk about that after the next section. So it kind of moves along really quickly in the beginning. 
We wake up in the village. We go to get Jin's stuff with Yuna, like his sword. Kill our first bad guy. Get our horse. We get to we get to get our own horse. We get to pick from three different colors. You get a white horse. You get a black horse or a spotted horse. Which horse did you pick? Pick the white horse. Sorta. I picked the spotted horse and I named my spotted horse Kage. And then he would go, "That's my Kage." <laughs> <laughs> When he would uh, pat on his horse or whatever, he kept promising Kage that they would uh, they would have a peaceful ride. Peaceful someday. ride, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so then he's like, straight to Castle Canada. I gotta get Uncle Daddy. And then Yuna's like, that's kind of stupid. You just, I mean, a bunch of you just went against them and died, and you're gonna go by yourself. He's like, nah, it'll be fine. It's probably fine. And she's like, okay. So they go, and he pretty much just open face, like, come out and challenge me. And he fights his way all the way up to Koten Khan. And Koten comes out, and then he sees his uncle is still alive. And Koten's like, dude, just give up, man. I'm, I'm about to embarrass you in front of Uncle Daddy. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, it's one of those unwinnable battles, that kind of cliche mm-hmm. that you get in video games. I did feel like I was holding my own against him for a while. but even At that point, you really don't know the, the mechanics. You know a little bit, like you yeah. know that a red glint is unblockable, but you don't know people can do multiple red glints in a row. That's what got me. But I feel like all his glints were red. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. At one point, like I, ta- I got, I got a couple of dead weapon deadlocks with him. Like I was able to go toe to toe with him for about like fifteen seconds before he was finally like, "Okay, I've had enough," and uh, he 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 uh, decisively ended it and gives him one more chance. Jin slices his face. And then, in a rage, Koten Khan picks him up by his throat like he's a doll and tosses him over the side of a, a, a bridge down into the chasm below because they're up on a cliff. So he falls mm-hmm. into the water below, presumably dead, but the, the Mongols are searching for him. And he washes up on a beach. And this is the first time that we get a glimpse of a major mechanic in this game, the Guiding Wind. Mm-hmm. And the Guiding Wind, uh, I really liked it. I liked its function and its purpose and what it did aesthetically for the game. But what did you think about it? It got to be a little much at times. Like, there was shit blowing everywhere (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Well, for those who don't know, the Guiding Wind, is it it, it could be a subtle wind if you didn't activate it manually. But whenever you came out of a a menu, usually it would kick up for a second. And whatever mm-hmm. way the wind was blowing, that was your next objective. So if you had something marked on the map, it was blowing towards that. If you had a main mission objective, it would blow towards that. For most of the game, there were a couple of times where you had to kind of figure stuff out on your own. It, which, we're going to talk about that, but this game did a really good job with helping you follow trails or clues. Much better mm-hmm. than The Witcher, even. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But the thing I liked about The Guiding Wind is it really helped the game to hide the HUD, the heads-up display. Yeah. So you really got to see this big, panoramic, beautiful view of the island of Tsushima. They did a really good job graphically with this island. Oh, yeah. uh, and the weather effects and the particles. There's particles everywhere. That's part of it. The wind was always kicking something up. Like, if you have allergies, Tsushima will murder you. Mm-hmm. Probably in, like, 0.2 seconds. Because there's always, like, just debris and dander in the air at all times. If not, like... You're near like a forest that just burned down and there's a lot of embers floating through the air. Like there's always something, right? Yeah. Um, but here's here's my theory about the guiding wind. This is something I wanted to get to. I and this may not even be that profound. You probably thought the same thing and didn't think it was that hidden, but I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I think the guiding wind was his father. Okay. And the reason why I think it was his father 
is because if you recall when they flash back to Jin at his father's funeral and Yuriko, which is that older lady that took care of him and was mm-hmm. like kind of like their family retainer or whatever, she told Jin, your father is the wind at your back. Mm. And the very first time, and this is him on the beach when he wakes up after being thrown off the bridge by Koten Khan, he finds his sword, he picks it up, and he's on his knees, and he pleads out loud to his father to help him save his uncle. And as soon as he finishes calling out to his father for help, the guiding wind picks up. Mm. So I... Mm. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it was smart or or not so smart to not make a big deal of it because I think there could be an emotional connection to that mechanic. Right. Because it took a while for me to even like put two and two together, but once I did, like, I got to the point where I was flicking the wind, like, okay, where do we go next, Dad? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Thanks, Dad. Show me the way, Daddy. Show me the way, Wind Daddy. I got Uncle Daddy and Wind Daddy. <laughs> wind Daddy. <laughs> Blow hard, Wind Daddy. <laughs> Oof, this is getting X-rated. Not that hard, Jesus. Not that hard. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my, my hat. My straw hat. I guess it helps with the straw hats. The wind will blow right through it because uh, they're barely it. put together. Mm. How many straw hats did you end up having at the end of the game? I only had, like, a couple. I feel like, like I had, I was... like, 54. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I was like, how many different styles of straw hats could there possibly be? Great. You know what I mean? Well, that's because you 100%ed it. I wasn't about that life. Ah, it's okay. We'll get to that, too. So he meets up with Yuna shortly after. She's got the horses and she's searching for Jin. And then they decide to go on a quest to gather allies and try to save his uncle. And we soon get kind of like the ghost aspect where we go with Yuna to try to, to scout a location where her brother might be to save him. And she convinces Jin to sneak up behind an enemy and stab them stealth style, which is against everything he's ever been taught. In fact, while he's sloppily killing a guy very loudly and, mm-hmm. and not a, not like efficiently because like it's his first time he's like i don't know how, how do you murder somebody without looking at their face right he has Which a flashback whole... yeah he has a flashback <laughs> to bear hunting with uncle daddy shimura and shimura like basically tells him people who try to kill you like assassinate you or if you are to face your enemy you look them in the eye before you kill them you do it with honor so like and a few other times after that, I've noticed like there are a few times where throughout that act one, I would kill somebody in a stealth way. And then like uh, Daddy Shimura's words would pop up in the air somewhere like, remember, you have no honor and you suck. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Uncle Daddy Shimura. So but I mean, in the beginning, when you're severely underpowered, when you don't have a whole lot of tools in your combat arsenal, sneaking around and taking out enemies especially when there are hostages in the village that they'll kill immediately if they're alerted it's effective right Mm -hmm. so you kind of need it so the game does a really good job of like introducing that theme into gameplay the theme of you know what what will you compromise you know morally what of your ideals will you sacrifice in order to be more effective because we've seen the head-on approach in the beginning of the game and the Mongols were ready mm-hmm. for it, and the Mongols took them down. The Mongols peppered them with explosives and soldiers and funneled them through this canyon, and they knew all the tricks and tactics. Koten Khan said as much. He's like, I studied you. I know. You know You know what this reminded me of a little bit? I don't know if you had this thought while you were playing the game. It reminded me of American history with the American Revolutionary War. Do you mm-hmm. recall the re- one of the reasons why we so handily beat the British? No. The old British style of war fighting was that 
the soldiers from either side would line up, face each other, and fire until one side surrendered. Mm. Very and, basic. Yeah, it was very basic, but that was honorable, right? And mm-hmm. and the, the worst thing about these the British soldiers' uniforms, they were red uniforms with a big white X. So you had a target that you could aim at. Right. Right? <laughs> so what Americans learned being here and being desperate and also from the way that uh, the Native American would hunt is, yeah, I don't have to do that. I could hide behind a tree or cover and shoot you and live. I think I'll do that instead. Right? So mm-hmm. we adapted our uh, tactics because, I mean, British soldiers had Americans outnumbered, you know, in both artillery and the number of men. So Americans, in order to win, had to get creative, and they had to, you know, quote-unquote, fight dirty. But that's how we came out on top. And I think that's exactly what's at play here. The honor of samurai is working against them because they're fighting against an enemy who is not really concerned with appearances. They're concerned with results. And that's what we're seeing, you know, Jin go up against. And with him waging a one-man war against the Mongols during this game and not having the support of an entire army, you see like the necessary sacrifices to his ideals, the necessary trade-offs that he has to make in order to make it through. Oh, yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, So any standout moments in Act 1 for you as we were kind of on our way to save Uncle Daddy from Castle Canada? The first meet-up with Ryuzo in Act 1? Oh, yeah, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we saw a number of allies. The Straw Hat Ronin were among them, and Ryuzo, Jin Sakai's childhood friend, who is... In, in essence, a masterless samurai. He is a ronin who leads other ronins. He is one of his allies he sought out for support. Yeah, well, shoot. I don't want to get too far ahead because it would be at the end of Act 1. Okay. Well, let's let's save him for last then. Okay. So as far as the other allies in Act 1, we had Yuna, mm-hmm. and we had Lady Adachi or Masako, and that was Lord Adachi's wife. The one who got flamed and beheaded. That, that's right, yeah. yeah. So she's one of our allies. Clan Adachi is actually who we're going after, but we meet up with her. Mm. And then we have Lord Ishikawa. Sensei Ishikawa. Sensei Ishikawa. Sensei Ishikawa. He's my favorite. Really? Okay. Yeah. He is a master archer. Archer. Arch, also, archist? Ar- archer? Archer. Archery. He's also a master asshole. He is. <laughs> he is. He is. He's, he's a, a master class in asshole. Yeah, he's a bit cantankerous for sure. He he ain't, he ain't about that nonsense. He doesn't like you calling him out on his bullshit. He's like, whatever, shut mm-hmm. up. Right. So we have Archer, we have Clan Adachi, we have Yuna, we have the Straw Hat Ronin. So let's go with Masako first. Okay. So we go to meet up with Masako, and she's an older woman. Uh, how old would you say? I would say she's probably in her 50s. Yeah, at least. Late 50s, early 60s. And we meet her probably in the lowest time of her entire life. And that's saying something for people on this island that's mm-hmm. being war-torn and ravaged by Mongols. But during the assault at the beach in the beginning of the game, other samurai or bandits or ronin attacked the Adachi estate and murdered her entire family. Her sister, her dot, like her kids, her grandkids. There was mm-hmm. even a baby that was recently born, little Natsu, she said, was murdered. And so she spent days after she found them, like burying each one of her family members individually and then swearing revenge. So by the time you run into Lady Adachi, she's 
a bit disheveled, a bit angry, mm-hmm. and she's she's out for blood, and she's and like, she remains that way <laughs> throughout the yeah yeah she achieves some form of an arc, but it's definitely it takes a while. It just I mean rightly so she's pretty angry most of the game, mm-hmm. so her whole arc in, in Act One you don't really get to finish it in Act One. I think you get like missions one through seven if you want, or you can cut it off whenever you want, just kind of pick it up later in the game. But you're going through an investigation. First, you have a lead on a monk at a nearby temple that may have notified bandits when Lord Adachi was away or, or when they, you know, the family was vulnerable and at the estate. Then later on, you find the actual bandits, and then you find conspirators. And it evolves all the way up to... Let's just go ahead and finish her arc. It, it evolves all the way up to finding out that it was actually her sister that orchestrated the entire thing. Yeah. So what she thought she buried as her sister was not actually her sister. So it turns out her sister was actually her elder and was in line to marry Lord Adachi and wanted to marry Lord Adachi, but Lord Adachi fell in love with her. Masako. Yeah, they had eyes for Masako. That's right. And Masako, thinking that she was doing her sister a mercy, found a lord in the north that she could marry so she could retain her nobility status. Mm-hmm. But it turns out her sister didn't like this guy and he was abusive and she felt like her drunk. sister yeah and a drunk and she felt like her sister had just shipped her up north away from her entire family and exiled her just so she could be with Lord Adachi. That's the way she saw things. So she plotted her revenge for years and used the invasion of the Mongols as a way to execute that plan and kill everybody and everyone that Masako has ever loved. Yeah. Like, pretty effective, brutal and total revenge. And it's funny, I see that theme a lot, just hubris and being like, I did nothing wrong. And then, like, mm-hmm. understanding the repercussions that your actions have down the line. So with Masako, not understanding or even caring to, to meet her sister where she was at and sending her off thinking it was a good thing, not even really communicating with her about it, led to all of this bloodshed. Now, I'm not saying that her sister did the right thing or she's a good person. She's terrible. Yeah, her sister sucks. By the end, I mean, Masako was like the first to murder somebody if they even looked at her sideways while she was in the Yeah, she was extremely murder happy. I mean, remember that first monk? That monk was like, look, when when you're trying to do great things, if somebody gets in the way, they were children. Stab, 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 stab. (laughs) Yeah, and then Jin's like, um, listen, how about you wait outside? Why don't we talk to the next person? I'll clean up here. Yeah, I just bumped my mic, sorry. Yeah, I'll clean up here. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that became a running theme, but I felt bad for her because there was one mission where we went back to the beach and she found her two sons were hanged by Mongols, like they were tortured. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you helped her cut them down and, and bury them. I mean, I, I just expected her to snap. I mean, she kind of did, but she always kind of reclaimed herself. And at one point, it got so bad with her, with you trying to stop her, like her bloodlust, that she attacks you. Oh, yeah. Because she's like, going to no. kill a monk. She's, she was going to kill a monk for thinking that he might have sort of been involved with it, even though that wasn't confirmed yet. She was ready to kill him. Right. And and that's when Jin was like, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a second. And so you end up having to have a duel with her and to get her to her senses, but then they remain friends, and then he continues to try to help her out. So it was a very sad, very sorrowful, very bittersweet a side quest line, and I felt really terrible for Masako. You know, like the entire time she was like, where do I go from here? What you know? Even after she got her revenge, she's like, "What do I do with my life now?" You know what I mean? Like, there's this theme about grieving and regret and loss and how you carry on afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be. Like, it was very emotional. 
Yeah, my just my whole thing with her was like we already said every time we talked to somebody, just murder boner. She's just murder. Yeah, I was, I was, and it was literally like every she had like what nine missions. Mm-hmm. Every single mission, she killed. She killed somebody before we, like, they whoa, could whoa, get whoa, information. Whoa, whoa. I know. Just... And that's kind of a running theme with all the side missions, which was kind of annoying to me. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like yeah. So, so we have that, and then we got Sensei Ishikawa. We, ah, we're seeking him out. Name. He gives us our first bow, which is good, because the bow is, man, that weapon in this game. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'll tell you. His whole deal is a former student of his, he tells us, was recently kidnapped. Tomoe. Tomoe. Uh, along with uh, a few other people from the island. And so we go to investigate and try to find the Mongol camp where she's being held. And then we find evidence that not only was she not being held prisoner, but she was teaching the Mongols the way the Japanese way of the bow. Mm-hmm. And then we start to kind of open up that things between Ishikawa and Tomoe weren't always copacetic. Her background's a little sketchy. His motives for taking her on as his apprentice are kind of sketchy. At one point, I'm like, are they in a relationship? Like, You're right. That, that's what I back thought. and forth between like a father-daughter kind of setup, a master student or sensei student to like almost like a love interest it was very odd to me oh yeah i definitely uh they never really landed anywhere with that either felt like yeah i don't think that it was meant to be romantic at all yeah i think he was literally just looking for a successor and she was super talented yeah they they, they made a couple of side comments throughout unless i'm mistaking it that kind of led me to believe that there might have been something more i don't know maybe maybe it was jin just trying to feel out what his true motivations were because he wasn't always up front that's the thing about ishikawa he kind of knew she ran away and kind of knew she had turned bad and kind of suspected that she was doing this, but didn't tell Jin until, you know, we already discovered it through gameplay. Right. And each time that you did a mission with him, you learned something new that he was withholding, something that he did incorrectly. He kind of reminded me of um, Return of the Jedi, where Luke Skywalker tried to kill Ben Kenobi and not Ben Kenobi. Well, yeah, I was like, huh? Ben Solo. <laughs> Sorry, Ben Solo. Oh, uh, Kylo uh, Ren. The last, the last Jedi. Okay, I thought no. it was the Return of the Jedi. It was, oh, you know it was, what? It, it, I, I meant the last the Jedi. Time. But yeah, okay. it's that one where they, they showed like <laughs> that he saw, like he almost took him out because he wanted to prevent something, and then saw that was wrong, but it was too late. Right. I feel like it was something similar with Ishikawa, where like he saw like darkness in her that things were going to turn, so he tried to cut her off, and she was like, "Nah, <laughs> nah, bro, nah, bro." That actually ended a lot more, a lot more tame than I thought it would. Yeah, you know they the Mongols end up turning on Tomoe, and then she ends up wanting to get revenge on them. So we join forces with Tomoe, uh, an uneasy alliance between Tomoe, Ishikawa, and Jean to take out these Mongols. The last few that she had taught the Japanese way of the bow, and then during all the commotion, she escapes on a boat to the mainland. There have been illusions that she had spoke about where she might start an inn and just rob all the rich people that stay there. <laughs> so yeah, that was gonna be she's gonna be about that life. Right. And uh, Ishikawa, like, just eternal respect for a student was like, yeah, she'll probably make it, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's pretty much the end of that. I, I was expecting something a little bit more dramatic, especially considering yeah. some of the other small... Because you, you the smaller side missions where, like, oh, my family was left behind. Can you go check on them? They were both right. murdered horribly. I found the, the little Sorry. kid's toy. It's burnt. Here you go. Like, it was... It always oh, ended thank something you. like... Yeah, I know. Oh, man, I just wish I was stronger. I'm like, yeah. I remember that exact sequence. <laughs> yeah, no, because I saw it and I was like, oh, that's not a happy ending at all. I mean, I mean, we're, it's a war, so it's not going to be, but they got surprisingly like candid and brutal in parts. 
especially when you go to the end of like Yuna's storyline in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm trying to think of who else. Norio. But we don't meet Norio to act two, so we'll we'll save that for later. So we got uh, Ishikawa, we got Masako, and then there's the Straw Hat Ronin, right? Yep. With the Straw Hat Ronin, we meet up with Ryuzo, and he is trying to lead this band of Straw Hat Ronin, and they're starving, right? Like, they're desperate. And mm-hmm. he, so he works with Jin to try to attack supply lines or find Mongols that have stolen Japanese food to get it back and feed his people. He never quite gets to it. And the last mission, we, we go to free a bunch of captured Straw Hat Ronin. And Ryuzo's like, it's the strangest thing. My men say that the Mongols didn't torture or hurt them. In fact, they fed them. Good food, actually. Why would they do that? And Jin, almost the same time I figured it out, goes, maybe they wanted something in return. You're right. And I was like, oh, no, I think these Straw Hats are going to turn on Ryuzo. You know what I mean? I was like, worried about him. We end up freeing Yuna's brother. He makes us a... uh, Taka. Taka, that's right. Taka, what do you think about Taka? I mean, he's your uh, run-of-the-mill kind of not brave character, but then kind of shows some bravery and honor throughout the story. I didn't really think that he was not brave so much as not capable. Confident. Yeah, I think he was coddled by his... He was abused by his mother, right? Because mm-hmm. when him and Yuna were young, their mother was drunk, and she would often take it out on little Taka. He was the younger brother. And so Yuna took him away from that. She protected him, you know, while they were vagrants, and they were taken in by, I can't remember the name of the clan, but it was it was one of the samurai clans on the island, like a, mm-hmm. like a village. Yarikawa? Yarikawa. Yeah, okay. Yarikawa. And you could just tell that he was he was sensitive. You know, he was a mm-hmm. sweet kid, and he didn't really have a vicious bone in his body. And Ta- Yuna was the one that got hard to protect them both. You know, like, she's the one that, like, you don't really mess with. And Taka's, you know, he's just more gentle, I would say. But yeah. he does want to help. He is very bound and determined to be useful. I think that's where he picked up his blacksmithing skills. So he makes us a grappling hook, which has got us zipping all around the island. Woo! Oh, yeah. Like Spider-Man, but only at preset points. Yeah. But there's a lot of them. Like, once I got the grappling hook, I noticed how many buildings I could climb up to the top of really quickly by grappling, like, the edge or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or get yeah. down really quickly by doing the same. Because you can't infinitely jump. Even with that roll, sometimes you would jack your legs up. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you get your grappling hook. You're ready to take Castle Canada, right? The only thing I think I may have skipped was one more character in Act 1 that Yuna knows, and so does Taka. And... He is probably the only character in this entire game with any kind of, like, levity or humor. Kenji, Kenji. the sake merchant. Yeah. And he makes us hide in a barrel and, like, Trojan horses us into the encampment where Taka was, and we rescued him. And uh, what would you think about Kenji? Oh, Kenji was hilarious, man. I thought he was funny. Uh, Yeah, that one mission that uh, you actually watched me play. Yeah. uh, He was like, if I say it's really good to see you, then it means I'm in trouble, and I need you to help. And then he gets in trouble. He's like, it's, it's really good, good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Jin has to go to kill me. That shit was hilarious. That was really good. I remember that. Yeah. And it was needed because I get why everybody's serious. Like, it's definitely a serious time. But I could have done with more, a little more levity, you know, to pick things up. Uh, because everybody was just had either a really dark past 
or they were wrestling with like recent tragedy and loss and it was yeah. just heavy the thing that offset the heaviness definitely was the beauty of the environments the really engaging combat which we're going to get into here in a second and just some of the lighter parts like being able to pet a fox you know interacting with kenji getting mm-hmm. you know stripping down naked looking at yeah, samurai booty getting in the hot springs yeah stuff like that that was cool you know that was fun so before we get into Castle Canada, because that's going to be the first big spoiler at the end of Act 1, let's go over our review of the combat, if you don't mind. We'll get that out of the way. Okay. Uh, that point, at that point, if people haven't finished Act 1, they can kind of hop off. So okay. combat, probably, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think, compare it to the combat I've played in other games this year. The only thing I can really compare it to is Final Fantasy VII Remake. I want to say... If, if I had to choose, like, which combat system I'd want to play another game using the combat, I'm I'm torn. Because I had so much fun being Jin. I did. Yeah. You unlock so many things. So you got... I think there's even some stuff I didn't unlock, because I heard there may have been a fifth stance. I don't know if you unlocked it, but I didn't. No, I definitely didn't. Oh, well, unless it's the, the it, uh, secret stance that you get. Yeah, if it's the stance like that it. you get automatically through story in Act 2, then maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. So we'll talk about that later. But you got four stances for the four enemy types on the island. There are enemies that use swords. So you have your, what was it, Stonebreaker, I think it was called? Uh, stone Stance. Stone Stance. Then you have the Water Stance, which is useful against enemies with spears. Mm-hmm. Then you had the, was it the Wind Stance? Yeah, I think it was the Wind. Okay, no, water was shields and wind was spears. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then the moon stance, that was good for, like, brutes, the big like boys. Big dudes, yeah. Big boys. Big <laughs> And uh, what was cool about that is you could put points into those stances, and that can increase your effect against the stagger gauge. Now, just like Final Fantasy, we were working with the stagger gauge. And what was cool is enemies, especially if they were skilled, they would do a lot of blocking. And if you use a stance that was effective against them, when you used your heavy attack or your triangle attack, you would melt that stagger bar and get them down to where you can get a few free hits. That wasn't the only way to break through, but it was one of the safer ways, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then you also have an amazing parry and dodge system. You start with like a sidestep dodge, but which can be upgraded into a roll if you tap it twice after putting points into it. Um, and then, of course, you had a block and a parry. Now, perfect parries would eventually slow down time as well as perfect dodges, allowing you a free hit. But at the very least, they would give you resolve, which you could use to heal or use special abilities, and they would allow you to avoid being hit, which is ideally what you want. It's It hurts getting stabbed. You don't want to do that. Oh, yeah. And on lethal difficulty, it's funny. For months, I've been calling it insanity because I got stuck in my head. That's what it was. It was lethal. Yeah, that was the difficulty. So for those who are listening and going, what the hell is this guy talking about? It's because I don't know words. (laughs) But for lethal difficulty where you can get killed in one or two hits, it was vitally important that you got a hold of parrying and and dodging. What did you think about the parry-dodge system? Did it feel good to you? Do you feel like it took some getting used to? Do you feel like it was conditional and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't? Like, where where'd you where'd you stand on that? It felt, felt very conditional to me in-game mm. because I was for sure I had timing right on dodges and especially parries, but like with uh, the Ronin and people that use like stabbing techniques and spearmen, sometimes my parry just didn't work. I agree. And yeah, it was I weird. It, it, it kind of annoyed me. It, it happened a lot more for me in, like, especially after I did the lethal difficulty. 
And I, I told you stories about how I would, you know, kind of hit my head against a wall during like a tough duel. And one of my, like the first really tough duel that I had after I switched to lethal, we're about to talk about here in a second, but I had an idea like, you know, everything feels off. Maybe it's my controller. So I switched the controller and then immediately things felt better again. And then later on when I had a tough duel, I tried that again and it felt better again. But then, you know, after maybe a couple of tries, if I didn't succeed, it would go back to feeling kind of sluggish. Mm-hmm. It was almost like the controller couldn't keep up or it got desynced with what you were doing. And I don't understand it. But I know that one of my hacks I learned throughout the game, if I was having trouble with my timing, was just to switch to a fresh controller. And a lot of times that would help me. Yeah. Because sometimes I would hit the block button and he would not raise his sword at all. And I also think that it had trouble deciding whether or not it wanted to allow you to interrupt your own animations. Because that was part mm-hmm. of it. Sometimes I couldn't raise my block up fast enough if I was in the middle of an attack or a dodge animation. And I thought that was kind of bullshit, especially for a game that relies so heavily on this mechanic. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But that's not to say it, it wasn't fun when I pulled it off and that it was impossible. It just felt a lot harder than it should have been if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm glad you agree. But the cool thing about being in the Ghost of Tsushima is not just your samurai ability, it's being able to call out and go, fight me! And one shot <laughs> Are you cowards? <laughs> one shot everybody with, you know, a button press, which on lethal, the timing on that got really hard, the tougher the enemies got. Hell, on, on normal, that shit got really hard. I was losing yeah. standoffs every time. Yeah, because they started to faint an attack, like, uh, but if you fell for the faint instead of the real attack, then they would knock you down to like 1 HP. At least they did with me. And right. I was like, oh, well, I'm in a precarious position now. It made mm-hmm. to the point where I didn't want to do standoffs anymore, but but Honor demanded that I did. Yeah. Yeah, I kept <laughs> I was doing like, it. At least once this play session, I need to do one, a successful one. And I like that you got different armor sets that would uh, assist you with like how many enemies, or, or skill points, how many enemies you could defeat in a single standoff you start off with only being able to do one enemy in a standoff and then you can upgrade to three and then through equipment you can do up to five in a row so five Mm -hmm. enemies coming at you one at a time and you one-shotting them it's really cool when you actually pull it off but aside from all the honorable samurai ways to fight you got ghost weapons a lot of stuff you learned from taka and started to kind of discover and develop you know through your skill points and your your growth I loved the combination of using my swordplay and my ghost weapons. And the thing about all these tools and how effective they were in different situations, and I think I spoke about this, you know, in other episodes of the podcast. If I made a mistake or I I died, I always felt like, okay, that was my fault because I could have done this instead. Like, I never Mm -hmm. felt like it was impossible to win something. Duels were tougher because you couldn't use ghost weapons. But for regular encounters and skirmishes... I always can be like, well, maybe I'll use an explosive bomb to distract these guys, then I'll shoot these guys with fire arrows, then I'll throw kunai to stun this dog. and You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, let's name all the ghost weapons. So what do we have? We had kunai, right? Kunai. Throwing, throwing knives, which evolved to do more damage, and you could throw like up to three at a time, and they did a really good job stunning enemies, so you can come in for free hits, possibly kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had sticky bombs. My favorite. Yeah, I love those. You throw a bomb, and it sticks to an enemy, and then after a couple of seconds, blows up. And you can increase, of course, the explosion radius, knock them on their ass with it. Black powder bombs, doing something similar, but being more explosive and stun effective, right? Mm -hmm. And your smoke bombs, which were really cool, because if you threw a smoke bomb, you could actually get an execution kill, which is like a one-hit stealth kill, because they can't see you momentarily. 
And there could be upgrades where you would actually be healed by breathing in the smoke from your own smoke bombs, which is weird, but whatever. Right. <laughs> um, let's see what else you have. Firecrackers. Firecrackers. And wind, wind chimes. chimes. Wind chimes being bringing a single enemy and firecrackers bringing multiple, which I love that they made that distinction. Yeah, I should have upgraded to the firecracker because I didn't realize that the wind chime only did one <laughs> one character. So I would throw a wind chime and only one person would run to it. And I'm like, and, what's and going sometimes, on? Sometimes that was good. Sometimes you didn't want to get a bunch of enemies because if you attract like five you can only take out maybe one, maybe two without the rest of them noticing you. Or if you have the upgrade, you can do like three executions in a row. Mm -hmm. But then you still have to contend with the other ones and being seen. So with the firecrackers, with them all facing a certain way, that was useful in some instances. But in others, you just kind of wanted to lure one away at a time. It, it just right. depended on your situation. So I liked that you had a distinction. And you could equip charms to augment a lot of your abilities, including making wind chimes poisonous, which was really interesting. Like investigating your chime and then throwing up blood till they die. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, am I missing any any other ghost weapons? Um, besides, well, let's see. I don't know if the weapon you get from Yuriko is a ghost weapon. Oh, just the dagger. No, the uh, blow dart. Blow darts. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's much of a spoiler just to say that. But okay. yeah, in, in, later on after Act One, I think in, well into Act Two. You can get access to blow darts, which... Well, I guess it doesn't matter because it's a spoiler cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to put it in somewhat in order, but yeah, yeah. It overall, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, blow darts to poison enemies so they throw up blood until they die or to make them berserk so they attack. Those were really useful, the hallucinatory darts, mm -hmm. where they attack, like, their fellow soldiers. That actually got me out of more than one bind, for sure. Now, here's something crazy What's that? that I didn't try try to use a hallucinogen dart on a bear. I feel like they're already on hallucinogenic darts. <laughs> I know. They attack <laughs> anything crazy. Yeah. Crazy. yeah, but later on, I think you can upgrade them to make the hallucinogens, like, stronger, like, make the enemy, like, take more damage. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would have been cool to have, like, an army of super bears. <laughs> attack my bears! I loved coming across Mongol soldiers fighting a bear and just sitting back and watching them take each other out. The mm -hmm. bears were hilarious because they would get a hold of like a soldier's leg and just fling them. Mm -hmm. And you would see the body just kind of flop up in the air and fall down again. Yeah. Um, I got flung by a bear myself one time. That wasn't too funny when it happened to me, but it was funny <laughs> when it happened to them. <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah, fighting bears and boars, you know, kind of as, as like a way to get some crafting materials. Kind of interesting. And I like the fact that you had some aggro enemies fighting the Mongols, you know, just like you were. All right. So we get at the end of Act 1 and we're going to take Castle Canada. I think we're ready now. So yeah. all our allies show up and we're ready to rescue Uncle Daddy Shimura. Well, except, all of our ad Oh, yeah. Okay, ex go ahead. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. Except... The Straw Hat Ronin don't show up. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Yuna's like, do we proceed? And he's like, yeah, I guess we gotta. So you, through your usual ghost tactics, plus siege tactics, plus your friends, you wake your way up through Castle Canada, and eventually you run into Ryuzo in a, uh, a lily pad pond area. It looks like a nice area for a duel, let's say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Ryuzo looks a little despondent and he goes hey uh, so the Khan put a bounty on the ghost's head and my soldiers are kind of hungry so I'm going to have to kill you and 
you know, Jim's like, but we're friends. No, I we can make you samurai. And he goes, yeah, but if you make me samurai, then your uncle's just going to make me die or, like, go up against Cut the Con and die. And I'd, I'd right. rather just... I'd rather just get the food. I just want to eat. I just want to eat. I'm hungry. <laughs> so this was the first duel, and I, it was under Lethal Difficulty, where I was just getting wrecked. I must have spent about 20 minutes trying to, to beat Ryuzo, and then I switched the controller, and I finally did. That was that was a fun stream for those who want to check that out. It's definitely up on, the, on YouTube. I think it's already expired from Twitch by now, but my God, that was tough. What did you think about the battle? I know you were playing on a lower difficulty, but... How did you fare? Or like, did it did it seem fair? Or? Uh, I think I beat it the first time. I was really cautious okay. about. Good. Yeah, I was really cautious because I just did not want to do this fight over again. Yeah, no, I I got it was one of those fights where like I spent a while trying to do it and then I got really close to beating him and then still lost. Those are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing about him is he and a lot of duels were like this. He had a lot of special moves that he would use variants of. So like you would learn the move. Like, okay, this is an unblockable attack. He's going to follow it up with this kick, and then I can move in. But then during one of your attempts, he'd follow it up the kick, and you think you have your opening, and then he does another special attack that he adds on to it with a combo. Yeah. And I'm like, what, you can do that too? And so he just arbitrarily decided on whether or not he would extend his combo or not, so then it kept me guessing. And it really came down to the way I beat him after I switched my controller was just a couple of perfect parries. Mm-hmm. getting up enough resolve for me to do a, a heaven strike which is like a, a single sword slash move to take down a big chunk of his hp and get him to the point where he dropped his hat and ran off and was like samurai samurai here excuse me <laughs> mongols samurai here <laughs> and basically just ratted me out snitches get stitches with you so yeah yeah so he runs off, you take out more guys, you unlock the ability to assassinate samurai through the little paper doors. What do they call yeah. those? Shinjo assassinations uh, or something like that? Show, show, shoujin. Show, show, mm, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce something. it. Shoujin, but I think you're right. And maybe it's like referencing a movie or something. But basically, and I, I was always wondering why you couldn't do that like from jump. I'm like, why wouldn't right. anybody think to just stab somebody through the door? But you unlock that. You free Uncle Daddy Shimura, and then you and Uncle Daddy Shimura and your allies. Shoji, Shoji, Shoji. Shoji assassination. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everybody, you you liberate Castle Canada, but Coates and Khan had already hinted through cutscenes in his conversations with Shimura that he was going to leave Shimura to starve to death in Castle Kanda, and he was going to go up north to Shimura's castle, unlocking mm. another section of the island. So Act Two is you and Lord Shimura continuing to gather allies and resources to make an assault on Castle Shimura to attack Koten Khan there. But now you also have to fight mid-boss Ryuzo, who's still out there lurking, waiting for a second duel. So, yeah, that begins Act 2. So at this point, the game kind of opens up, but um, I don't know. Where, where are you at at this point? How are you feeling about the game at, that, at this point? At this point, I'm just like, wow, I felt like this was the climax. <laughs> I know it was right? really yeah it was really uh really intense breaking in and saving Uncle Daddy. I was really worried that and I I tried not to that if he saw me using any of my ghost weapons because he was like they won't stand up to two samurai and I was like oh he's gonna be mad at me right <laughs> so I try not to use any kunai or anything but he even approaches him during Act Two and says hey you know heard you were being brutal some of the tactics you used were a little fucked up. But, you know, I'm here. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm in your debt. 
you saved me, but now I'm here. We can get some other samurai. You don't have to continue to be that person. You don't have to continue down this path. And Jin kind of lets it go. He's like, yeah, okay, you know. Yeah, and sure. Shimura, through cutscenes, is like, hey, I want to adopt you. I want to formally make you my son. I want you to be the next Jito. I'm going to get the Shogun to officiate it. Things are looking good with your relationship with Shimura. You meet another ally, Norio. He's a warrior monk, and his his village was attacked. A lot of the monks were locked up by Mongols. His brother was killed. And you go through missions to try to liberate temples with him, culminating in finding out that his brother actually survived and was cut all to pieces. Like, I think they found him. He was an amputee, basically. I don't think he had arms or legs. Mm-hmm. It was the yeah. same. I knew, I knew he was going to be alive. You did? Yeah. Well, they're talking about his brother way too much for him not to be alive. Yeah, yeah. You end up being able to finish, of course, like uh, Masako, uh, Ishikawa's. I, I think you could finish them before Act 3, right? I'm not sure because I didn't finish Masako's until after I finished the game. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I did, but maybe it was after the end of Act 2. I can't remember. But uh, with Norio, it kind of wraps up with you know, him starting to go down the dark path and just having a thirst for blood, and you kind of pull him back to his monk-like state because he's just really upset about his brother, and then he ends up running a temple, so that's nice. Let's see, Yuriko, you have her whole thread. That's where you unlock the blow darts. Yuriko was a very interesting story. I didn't think there'd be much to her. Yuriko is, of course, that older lady that took care of you when you grew up. You know, yeah. at Lord Shimura. Actually, no, no. She took care of you back when your father was still alive. So yeah, she knew you, and your, you and your father and your mother. And the thing is, she was secretly in love with Jin's father. Yeah, and I think they definitely hinted that they had a romantic relationship, at yeah. least after his mother passed away. Exactly. I think that they had like un- unrequited love they didn't act on until his mother passed away, and then they had a secret relationship, which would have been frowned upon, so they kept it secret. But Yuriko, being older and kind of just affected by the war, starts to kind of slip into senility a little bit and mistakes Gene for his father. Mm-hmm. And so towards the end, when she's kind of like on her last legs, like you, you could tell she's going to pass away. She's sick and she, she's she's giving out, basically. She starts to talk to Jin like he's his father, and Jin just lets it go. Yeah, that was real sweet of him. No, it was like a really... It was a really sweet kind of romantic moment in a way. Like, obviously, they didn't do anything, but they just talked sweetly to each other, and she had, like, one last moment with the love of her life, and then she passed away. Yeah. And then he buried her. It was it was really heartfelt. You know, there's a lot of moments like that in this game, but those were the one, one of the ones that stood out. Like, I really felt for Yuriko, and I understood kind of why Jin acted the way that he acted towards the end there to try to, you know, play, in, play into her illusion because she didn't really have that much time left. All right. And she's also the one that made our poison for us. She gave us some sweet blow darts. We got mm-hmm. the poison and the hallucinate, and those helped big time. So thank you, Yuriko. Your sacrifice yeah. will not be forgotten. Rest in peace. That's right. I think that covers pretty much all the side characters. Now that we have poison, and we're getting ready to take Castle Shimura, Shimura. right? Lord Shimmer is up to his old tricks. He's like, we're all going to stand in a line. We're going to wear these red shirts <laughs> with these white cro- white X's on them. And then we're going to just march towards the Mongols. And anyway, then... I started blasting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jin's like, no, if you do that, we're, we're going to die. Like, they're going to kill us. They, they got superior position and numbers. And if we go across this bridge, they're going to blow it to kingdom come. And a lot of people are going to die unnecessarily. Let me go in there by myself. I'll poison their food and jack them up. And Lord Shimura is like, hell no. That is not honorable. Do not do that shit. 
we're not trying to listen to him. You're right. At this yeah. point, we've already tried to find Widiuzo, and we got captured. Taka came after us. Taka got captured. And then Koten Khan tried to, to recruit Jin again, and when it didn't work, he freed Taka, gave Taka our sword, and asked Taka, Yuna's younger brother, to kill us. And I knew what Taka was going to do as soon as like, he got that yeah, sword. Yeah, me too. And I think Jin did too, because he was like, run. And I was like, please, Taka, just run away. Taka turns and tries to swing the sword at Koten Khan, but immediately fails because he's just not a swordsman. Koten Khan then murders Taka in front of Jin, completely severs his head, holds Taka's head in front of Jin, and says, This is what your friend just died for you. You did this. Now I got to go find another one of your friends so you can make the decision all over again. Yeah. I was like, yo, Colton Khan's not playing no games. No, he's not. And and Jin, all they could do is just yell. And then eventually he escapes. And when he gets to kind of leave, Yuna shows up like, hey, where the hell's Taka? I know he followed you. She finds out a brother, brother. So Yuna gets mad and goes, what the hell? I told him not to come here. And he came here to support you. And Jin's like, I told him to stop. But, you know, he just, he came anyway. And then uh, Yuna's like, yeah, that's Taka. That's what she said. Yeah, so <laughs> Mongols come, right? And they're going to attack them. And so Jin's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And Yuna's like, not without my brother. And that was one of the moments, like, there are badass moments in this game. But that was such a badass moment. She goes, I'm not leaving my brother. Right, she's, she's like, like, I will fight off all these motherfuckers. Right, and she looks towards the gates when the Mongols are coming. And then Jin looks at her, and then he raises his sword. And I was like, yeah, yeah. boy! Revenga! So we <laughs> slaughter all the Mongols and then bury her brother. And then in his honor, one of the last things he did before he died is he made ghost armor, which I then donned. And at the battle to take Castle Shimura back, against Uncle Daddy's wishes, we don the ghost armor. We swing with the grappling hook underneath the bridge, sneak over to the village, and poison the fuck out of all of them. We put it in the food. And then the next morning when Shimura does his assault, he just comes in. To see a bunch of dudes vomiting blood and the ghost like stabbing people in the back. And he's like, Jin, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this. Dude. <laughs> and Jin's like, whatever, bro. Everybody would have died if I had done this, right? So he basically throws Jin in, in the gin. <laughs> right. He throws him in jail. And he's awaiting like judgment from the samurai for his dishonorable behavior. Uh, I think Kenji's the one that frees him, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yep. And so he grabs his horse and escapes. This is at the end of Act 2, of course. A bunch of samurai arrows follow and rain down upon him when he's trying to escape. Many of them strike Kage. Sora. Kage. Sora. <laughs> and and he goes north, and it gets really cold, and then Kage gets tired, and he's bleeding, and then he falls down, and then he dies. <laughs> My horse. Yeah. Why did yeah. they kill the horse? Oh, it was such a bull. <laughs> they killed the horse. <laughs> Had I known it was going to die, I wouldn't have named it so I know. You could kill him if his name is something different and dumb. Right. You're right. Like Sky. Wait, that was Sora, wasn't it? Yeah, Sora Sky. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> I only named him that because of Kingdom Hearts. I know you did. I know you did. But yeah, so your horse dies, and then... You end up meeting up with Yuna. Now you're straight rogue. You're not being supported by Shimura or the samurai. You still have the rogue straw hat Ronin to contend with. You def- you found a defeated Ry- Ryuzo during that castle siege, but 
but now all the rest of the Ronin are kind of like leaderless and wandering. The Mongols are much tougher up here, mm-hmm. and you still have to get to the very edge of the island to stop Kothan Khan because now he's retreated to the last stage, Act Three. And you are Ghost Boy, and you you get another horse. It's like this boring brown horse. I called him Nakage. Um, Nakage. So you you ride Nakage for a while. And then eventually you get to pick out a new horse and you get to name the horse again. This time I picked a black horse and I named the horse Nobu. Yeah, I picked the uh, black horse I named Kage. Okay, okay, great. So you got you got my Kage. Yeah, I got your Kage. The spirit of my Kage. So at this point, you're just kind of polishing off side missions. Not a whole lot in my memory happened in Act 3 other than, I'm trying to remember... I think just getting together soldiers from Yarikawa. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, we kind of glossed over the whole beef between Clan Shimura and, and, and Sakai and Clan Yarikawa. There's like a rebellion that they had to put down. They're no f- fans of Shimura. That's all besides the point. Right. So we glossed over a few things there. But essentially, you do rally all of your allies who are still with you, like the, ma- like the main ones, you know, Norio. Ishikawa, Masakachi. Yeah, yeah Ishikawa. So you get to the point where you even get a, a message to Lord Shimura, like, hey, Uncle Daddy, I know you're no longer my uncle or my daddy, but right. if you still want to beat Koten Khan, we'll be here at this place. Would you like to siege with me? Yes, no, maybe, circle one. Meet me at the slide after school. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Maybe we can get on the, the sawhorse or whatever, seesaw. So... <laughs> At first, it doesn't look like Shimura is going to show up in the big battle at the end, but of course he does. And you're like, yeah, samurai! And then, you know, Jen sees him, and he's out there kicking ass as the ghost, and you eventually face off against Kotan. What did you think about the Kotan Khan boss battle, like the, the end boss battle for him? I don't know. I thought it was kind of easy, because uh, the uh, second half of it, where he's just basically sending uh, guys after you and also chasing after you himself, I just kind of found myself running around the boat mm-hmm. and trying to single people out. It was a little tougher on lethal mode, but it was something similar. Like, I was definitely, because, I mean, you have to duel him and you can't use any ghost weapons. That was a little tough for me, even with the spear stance all the way leveled up, I found. Mm -hmm. But that part, once he escapes and he starts throwing other soldiers at you, and then he comes in to attack with them, and you're juggling, fighting him and the other soldiers, I found it kind of easy, too, because then your tactics kind of change up when you're fighting fighting multiple enemies and the fact that you have access to your ghost weapons and all of them have been leveled up at that point like i was dipped and buttered i was ready to Mm -hmm. go all my skill points i was like maxed out so i think i didn't get it on my first try i think it took a couple of tries because i had to kind of get the rhythm of the the flow of enemies and things and lethal's just like that you make a single mistake it's over but yeah it wasn't too hard definitely not one of the hardest things i've done in the game but uh, i enjoyed it i thought it was cool and I like the fact that that's not over, because what happens next? Oh, um, shit. Shimura calls you yeah, back yeah. to your estate, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you decide to go. And you're like, hey, what's up, Uncle Daddy? Yeah, so we liberated Sushima. That's cool. Sorry, I'm not going to be your son. Yeah, that's rough, awkward. What do you want to do? He's like, I don't know. Maybe we could... Um, Hang out by the uh, by that tree, that big yeah. circular area that looks like it's good for duels. I guess we could go over there. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, we go over there, and, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise. Yeah. So the shogun wants me to kill you, and I'm gonna because honor or whatever. Yeah, and the reasoning was because he felt that the people of Tsushima were rallying towards the ghost cause, and that he mm-hmm. was 
creating his own army. He needed to restore order and faith in, in the ruling the class, in the samurai. And yeah. in order to do that, he had to take the ghost down. Mm-hmm. It was very, very emotional. It was. Because you could tell, like, I never doubted once that Lord Shimura cared for Jin Sakai. Or that he cared for anybody in general. I thought he was a very warm person, despite the fact that he was a slave to his ideals and a lot yes. of, like, outdated you know, kind of ideals of, like, honor and yeah. tactics. You know what I mean? He's had, yeah, he had the biggest honor boner I've ever seen. Yeah, Bigger than detriment. Zuko. Yeah. Bigger than Prince Zuko. Yeah. Oh, yeah, way bigger <laughs> than Prince Zuko, for sure. He would have caught the Avatar day one, or died right. trying. But, uh, <laughs> but no, like, he, it's true. He really did. Like, it was such a huge deal to him, and he lived his whole life by that. I totally get it. And Jin just wasn't about it. So that duel was actually pretty tough. It didn't take me like 20 minutes, but it took me a few tries for sure. Yeah, it took me a few, even on normal. And once you finish, you decide whether or not you will finish Shimura off. Shimura's like, kill me. Which is interesting. Here's something I want to bring up, because I thought this was really odd, and I was expecting this, and it wasn't ever directly addressed. Okay. I don't know how much you know about samurai in general, and how a samurai views defeat like are you familiar with like seppuku or yeah okay Mm -hmm. didn't you find it odd that no samurai took their lives after being defeated or requested for the lives to be taken i mean i think it maybe happened once or twice but it was very rare and it wasn't something that gene had even considered i thought when he woke up he'd be like man i should have killed myself like he never talked about it and I'm not advocating for it or saying it's a good idea or that I, I, you know, advocate suicide. Obviously, it's a very touchy subject. And one could even say maybe they didn't go there because they didn't want to bring up such a touchy subject. But pretty sure we discussed child trafficking and rape with, with the Uniquest line, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the murder of, like, innocent people and, like, families being destroyed. So I don't see how that was too taboo. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the very end, Lord Shimano finally kind of speaks up on this topic and goes, you have to kill me. If you, have, if, if you defeat me and you don't kill me, you dishonor me, right? Or it's yeah. not, maybe even dishonor yourself. Like, it's not honorable to do that. So then you have a choice whether to let your uncle live or kill him. What did you decide? Oh, I killed the fuck out of him. Wow, really? Yeah. How'd that go? Um, it, it, was, it was crazy, man. Because mm-hmm. like I said, it was so emotional. Uh, Jen's voice actor really hits those just screens of pain mm. and it was it was something else man i felt so did it. he just cut the, cut him down and then scream in pain like is that what happened yeah he just uh he got down to his level mm. on his knees and then he takes his short sword and then he stabs, stabs him. him in the belly yeah. yeah and then he's just holding his lifeless body like over his shoulder and he's just screaming to the heavens oh. it's, it's it was deep so i'm assuming you let him live i did i let him live that's uh, good. I stooped down to his level and I said, I don't have any honor. I'm not a samurai bitch. And then I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, I, I just got tired of hearing him yak on about honor. Me too. But it looks like we had different ways of solving that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I leaned down and I was like, whatever. Cause I, what I, and, and you can actually see the moment on stream because I like talk out loud. I'm like, you don't get to control me and tell me what to do anymore. Right. And I walked away and he was like, we'll hunt you. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so many times I do the, the good thing. That's not necessarily the good thing. Good. You know, like I'm not going to say, no, I'm saying, I I'm saying oh, okay, good. Yeah. No, I'm saying sparing him, you know, as his nephew would be the good thing. You know, you think so? 
just to let to let him live. Yes, to not murder your uncle, I think is probably the good thing to do. But well, culturally, I, from from our standpoint as Americans, yeah. I would agree. But yeah, in that time, I'm not saying you have to get into his head to like make make this the mental gymnastics to make it moral. But I want I are I wonder if it's more disrespectful and damage their damages their relationship further that he did let him live with the shame of defeat. Yeah. And I'd wonder if there is a sequel, if what story part they will go off of. Wow. Oh yeah. I know, right? I've seen games do things like that before. Like if you look at Witcher Three, like if you say that you let Letho live in Witcher Two, then he shows shows up for a couple of missions and it doesn't really affect the overarching story mm-hmm. even though like he had such a like professional kind of animosity towards Geralt and, the, and Witcher 2 they never really hate each other it's just they're on opposing sides I wonder if maybe in Ghost of Tsushima if you let Uncle Daddy Shimura live if he shows up maybe to help you or give you counsel at one point but doesn't really overly like affect like if you pull him out it doesn't affect things majorly yeah. you know might do something mm-hmm. like that because I feel yeah. like if they give him too much of a pivotal role then it, it's just a lot of extra work just for those two different versions of the game. Right. But it would be neat if they did something like that. That'd be cool, actually. I didn't think about that. Sequel-wise. Yeah. What do you think yeah. the sequel would be? Like, just bigger, better, <sighs> better, going to the mainland to continue to fight the Mongols, going to China? I mean, I don't know. I didn't really look into the history of the uh, attempted annexation of Japan because I know this actually happened. Not, obviously, right. Gene Sakai and all that, but, like, the actual assault itself so i don't really know how it ends do you right yeah no i honestly don't know what they would do because this is already pretty big and pretty grand in yeah. itself yeah 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 yeah. true true and true. pretty uh open and shut i liked what they do with fast travel like you can oh just, yeah you can just fast travel anywhere any fox den any bamboo yeah any, like anything that you've been to that is of an event you could fast travel to instantly and i thought that was the best because you, you compare it to an open world game like the witcher right where you can only fast travel to waypoints that are specifically waypoints, but only if you're at a waypoint. So in order to fast travel, you had to open your map, look for the nearest waypoint, go to that waypoint, open your map, select the waypoint near where you wanted to go, and then activate the waypoint, and then select that waypoint, and then fast travel. And then when it loads up, you'd still have to travel physically from that nearest waypoint to your objective. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Especially since there's so much loading in that. Like, the loading is longer oh, than yeah. too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I really like that there was a there was a, a, a chunky game here. I, I could even maybe take a little bit less of the game and still have been satisfied. But there was a, a decent-sized game here that cut out a lot of fluff. There was barely any loading, and the fast travel was almost instantaneous. I love that about yeah. this game. Yeah, honestly, I didn't want that much game. Yeah. Like, it was a bit much. Yeah, I didn't need much, to be honest. I didn't need much game, but I, I got it, and I loved it. What, <laughs> what what were some of your favorite parts about the extras in the game? Because we glossed completely over, like, the Tales of Tsushima, those those blue missions that would give you extra oh, yeah. abilities. I loved the duel, uh, the Blades of Kojiro. Mm. That's where you had to duel five different Ronin, and then the sixth duel was against their leader, and that was in order to get... Um, some, some armor. Some Kensei armor, which yeah. I barely use. It looked fly, though. It had, like, oh, feathers yeah, yeah. on it, and I was like, oh, this is badass. Yeah, that, the uh, Undying Flame. I only got to use that move, like, a couple of times because I was already at the end game. Yeah, I didn't really find it that useful because I thought you could use it in duels, which would have been amazing. But you can only really use it, like, in skirmishes where you could use your ghost weapons, like, in the open world. And 
it was just a way to add extra damage, but your sword was already so powerful in addition to your ghost weapons, it just felt like extra steps to do something you could do more efficiently otherwise. Right. And th this is what I love about the game, uh, especially those blue missions that give you a reason to do the side missions. Yeah. So, like, you can go through this whole game without ever getting a longbow. That's true. And that was my favorite side quest, I think. Because you had all the crows flying around you and you were, like, in a hallucinogenic state. That was fun. And, yeah. Yeah, I think what happened there, because through your quest with finding, like, all of these tales have to do with, like, legendary heroes or events that supposedly happen to Tsushima. It's usually, like, some sort of, what do they call them? They're not bards, but, like, they're equivalent of bards. They were, like, they, they were, were just musicians. Musicians, right? And they would, like, play their song or their lute or whatever, and they would tell you about the tale of the guy who sold his soul to a demon for a longbow or some shit like that. Right. And so when you were going on looking for the longbow, there was this guy dressed up like a Tengu, like he had like the demon mask. And he's like, don't seek the bow. It is cursed. Cursed, I tell you. And you're like, uh, but it looks sweet. I need a bow. <laughs> so when you finally find the bow, like some gas kind of like pops up in your face. And I feel like maybe he used hallucinogenics to put you in that state. So when he fights you, you're right. Like everything looks crazy. Like it is actually cursed. And you have to fight this Tengu in a haze. And then you end up like waking, like you're covered in blood. It looks crazy. But then when you beat him, you finally get access to the bow. And it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And there were similar stories, like you said, with the six duels. By the way, that was the hardest duel I ever had to play in the entire game. Was yeah. against the sixth Ronin without any resolve. I went in with zero resolve. And again, resolve is what you need in order to heal or use a special ability, like the, the Heaven Strike or the other one that like where you did three strikes in a row, mm -hmm. um, which you got all, both of those through those blue missions, right? You got actually extra, extra sword technique strikes you can use resolve to use. I couldn't beat him. I spent a half hour trying to beat him without any resolve. I ended up having to quit, go out, get into a like a standoff to get full resolve. And then when I went back, I was able to get his life half down safely without him like one or two shotting me and then just use my special abilities to kind of finish him off. That was the only way I was able to beat him on lethal. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. He was, he was crazy. yeah he kept switching up his style too. Was there anything about the game you didn't like? Hmm. Let's see. I already talked about all the leaves flying up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, there were bugs here and there, mm -hmm. especially with the yellow birds. Those birds were buggy as shit. I know. Like that the, was... their, their pathing was terrible. So for those who don't know, when you're near like an objective or a side mission or like something that'll give you a stat boost, like a fox den or like a hot springs, a bird, a yellow bird will start to chirp and fly in front of you and then try to veer off and lead you towards it. And you can choose to follow the bird towards it. And sometimes it's just like a straw hat. Sometimes it's something cool like a bamboo strike, which gets you more resolve. I always try to follow the birds, but there's any kind of obstacle. Like if you were near a cliff or a house, it would kind of smack into the cliff and then kind of just slowly kind of shimmer like in this flight pattern, just kind of wobble up the cliff somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then you would have half the time you'd lose it or try I, ever this ever happened to you. The bird gets in front of you as you're already going to the thing. The bird's trying to lead you to, and you're like, I'm already yeah. going here. You idiot. I mean, right. I marked it on the map. The game knows I have this location marked. The wind knows where I'm going. Right. My daddy's showing me the way. That's right. That's right. Wind daddy. Show me the way. So, <laughs> I did find that annoying too. Anything else? Headbands. Mm. Oh my god. Yeah, high headbands in useless. Well, yeah, because what the headbands do nothing. They do nothing. They're purely cosmetic, mm. which is fine. But after 
doing all these cool side missions and getting all this awesome armor and stuff, a headband is not something I really want to bother with putting on. Here's Put some... two solutions, because I agree with you. I would have either preferred that you got a headband along with a sword kit and you just picked it up instantly at one of those sword kit like shrines. Because mm-hmm. across the island, you would just come across a shine and it would have a free sword kit. And that's it. You just pick it up. It takes no time at all. Right. I'm cool with that. So either just add that headband there so you get you know, a sword kit and a headband. Or if you're going to have us do haikus, and they were okay, even though you can only pick from like three different options for your five syllable, your seven syllable, and your five syllable again. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do that, then give me a little bit of experience points with it, like a little bit of renown. Right. So that way, when I'm spending the time doing the haiku, I know that I'm going to get experience points from it. Because it's about the size of like a random encounter. The length, I would say. Wouldn't you say doing a haiku is about the length of a random encounter? Maybe yeah, a yeah, especially, longer? especially if you're looking at all the options. Right. So, you know, just reduce the experience points across the board if you need to for side missions. So that way... Or, or for like skirmishes or random encounters, so that way if we, if you go to the haikus, you get a little bit of experience bump, like it's worth your time. But just getting a headband, every time a bird led me to a haiku, or I was going to clear one off the map, I was like, ugh. It made me not like them. And it's kind of a cool idea, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, how many haikus have we done on the show since? But right. um, at least three. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I didn't dig that. Anything, anything else you can think of? Uh, no, those are pretty much my uh, main things. Combat was amazing. Voice acting was amazing. Mm-hmm. The story was pretty good. The only um, thing I would add is I would reduce some of the side missions that weren't character-specific. Because you could tell, like, Masako said one of nine. So you knew you were doing side missions with Masako, nine of them. Right. Even the missions with Masako or Norio or Kenji, and Kenji only had four. Ishikawa had nine. Some of those could have been reduced. There were a couple in a row yeah. for Ishikawa. It's like, Tomoe went this way. Oh, Tomoe got away. We will look for her. <laughs> By yeah. the way, um, Tomoe... I can't believe she took my way of the bow and used it against me. Yes. <laughs> Every mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, I, I did used to slap her randomly. Well, you never told me that. Yeah, I was, right. I was not very nice. I was Anyways, a dick. So, and some of the regular side missions without it just felt a little busy, so I would like less of those. I also, I really dug the shrine side things where you found a shrine that you had to climb up to, kind of like, you know, it, it would help you um, get those special charms that you could equip to augment your abilities. I dug those. I just think less of those, less of the foxes, less of the hot springs, less... Uh, I think the charm shrines, there was enough. There was a good number of charm shrines. I think mm-hmm. that was a good number. Less of everything else and just give us more for it. So cut the hot springs in half, but give us like, you know, double the health boost for when we get to them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because I just felt like there's a little bit too much busy work. Other than that, I agree with you. You don't really feel compelled to have to do all of it because you feel, you know, decently empowered throughout, especially since you have the difficulty options. The combat's amazing. I think I only got like half of the bamboo strikes and half of the hot springs pretty much did everything half of everything that was stat boosting so anything else that we've left out or not covered that you wanted to say about the game before we wrap this uh, spoiler cast up i will say that if you're a fan of was it sucker punch sucker punch yeah if you're a fan of sucker punch definitely pick this game up it is an amazing master class in what the ps4 is capable of and what a a good good developer is capable of yeah, it's, it's a good swan song for the system, like the last 
exclusive. Yeah. So. Yeah, but pretty much pretty much Assassin's Creed in Japan is what I've heard it compared to a lot. Yeah, well, which, as long as it's not yeah. Japanese Dark Souls, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for you, right? Yeah, we love you, buddy. I know he's listening to this because he don't give a shit about playing the game. So yeah, <laughs> I'd say I'd say let's just rate it and, and step out. Then I love the game too. I think it's great. Rating it out of five, one being a terrible game that made me angry, two just being bad, three being like regular okay whatever most games, four being like a step above, and five being superb. I'd give this a five. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with four. Okay, and that's just just because of some of the side mission bloat that I felt was happening. I felt like and... it could have easily been better. If they yeah. Been yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I would even say maybe like 4.5. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll knock a half a point off for that. But I still think if you rate it like purely and emotionally, I don't regret playing this at all. I'd play it again in a heartbeat, and I'm really glad that I got a chance to check it out. Yeah, so, and we also got that multiplayer coming soon. So Yeah, you and I got to get on that for sure. Yeah, because so, I was going to sell my copy, and then I was like, wait, that multiplayer is coming. Well, uh... Yeah, get that multiplayer, baby. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you to those who decided to stop by and listen to the spoiler cast today. If you have thoughts, opinions, concerns that you want to share in regards to Ghost of Tsushima, we can mention it on the next episode. Not the next next episode, because we're recording episode 11 tomorrow, so you got to get that in quick. And I don't think I'm going to post this up until from today, probably the following Wednesday or Thursday from episode 11. Just space it out a bit. When we released our spoiler cast for Final Fantasy VII Remake on the same day we released episode 4, people got confused. Nobody listened to episode 4. No. <laughs> they were like, what? What is this? this is, I don't know which one to listen to. So I don't want to do that again. Okay. Space it out for people. But yeah, if you uh, like what you're hearing, you want to hear more, I know that you can follow my friend Derek on Twitter. Where's that Twitter handle at? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at goodies underscore more, on Instagram at gamer goodies more, and they can check out my eBay store at ebay.com forward slash str forward slash gamer goodies and more. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Peterson AL. MC Paperstacks plays if you want to see my entire playthrough of Ghost of Tsushima from start to finish. I think there ended up being 15 episodes. I have to go back and check. I can't remember exactly how many. And, of course, I'm doing streaming every week. Uh, Main stream right now is Last of Us Part 2. That's on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 8. Still doing Monday Brawlers at 9. We're doing Dynasty Warrior series right now. By the time you hear this, it'll be 9 up this upcoming Monday. And then 8 is already up if you want to check that out. And then Horror horror Games on Friday. You can check out uploads of our podcast every single Sunday. Uh, episode 11 should be up by now. And you can find that at our hub at anchor.fm slash player2 is enter the pod. There you can contact us. You can donate to the cause. We very much appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And again, that email address for reaching out to us is mcpaperstacks at gmail.com. I also run a Facebook group if you're interested, facebook.com slash group slash gamers. So yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thank you so much for honoring us with a listen. And we'll see you at the next spoiler cast, which I think will be Last of Us Part 2. Oh, yeah. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.